Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. There's a lot of people have questions about this Torah portion, these issues about you know hardening God's heart or hardening Pharaoh's heart, all this stuff. That's fine. We can talk about those questions. If you have questions, we talked about in the past. They're, they're really valuable things to discuss and think about. But uh, today I'm going to focus on a little different topic. So um, to be fair, this Torah portion starts out in chapter 6, verse 2. And it's God is answering Moses or continue to answer Moses because he had a question at the tail end of chapter 5. Um, so Moses' question is a question that pretty much all of us would have if we were in his shoes. So he, we'll go back a little about that because we'll focus a little bit on Moses' faith as it, as it grows and expands through this. So go back to our Torah portion. Early up, we might reverse or go back a little bit earlier. Uh, it points out that uh, in verse, uh, let's see, verse, where is it? Oh, verse 22, Moses returned to Yehovah and said, My Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why have you said to me? From the time I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he did evil to his people, but you did not rescue your people. So that's where Moses starts out in far as his reply to God. Now, he obviously just got the spiel from the people saying, hey, you know, now we're you know, scum in Pharaoh's eyes. He wants to beat us all up, make his face all miserable. Well, whip some more. Um, and of course, they have to you know, make more bricks. All that whole stuff. So they're, they're upset that you're about to have a hard time. Moses' reply, or his, sorry, his response to that is to God, to bring it to God. And God, because he starts, he starts initially in verse 1 of 6, God's pointing out that now you see what we'll do to Pharaoh and a strong hand read out of Egypt. And then God continues on in, in, in our Torah portion of verse 2. So this, is, this is a continuation of God's reply to Moses' complaint. Now, who doesn't complain to God? I complain. I don't know. Unless it didn't go the way I wanted, God. Why didn't this work? What did it wrong? The things don't work out right. We'll discuss that a little bit more as we go along. So the peanut gallery here is arguing it's a question, not 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 arguing and or a conversation. So a relationship. So it says that God replies, I, "I am the Lord." All right. I pray to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, as well should I, but no name with known with my name. Yehovah, they do not know me. So God is using essentially the same tactic he used for Job. When Job asks the question, Job, Job's having struggles, and God tells Job, hey, I'm bigger. I did all this stuff. You didn't. I know what I'm doing. It was happening. None of your business. You, you, you can't even comprehend what I created, much less comprehend me. So why are you questioning me? So essentially, God uses the, the, pulls the, the, the round of the hat and says, hey, I know what I'm doing. I'm smarter than you are. I know everything I'm doing, and you don't. So to question my, my judgment, my, my actions is, always, is, 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 is beyond your ability to actually do. Because you, you can't comprehend God. That's kind of how it's left. Now, let's back up a little bit, though. We know the story of Moses. We know the story he has of Moses, he, he, the whole burning bush thing, the killing the Egyptian thing, fleeing Egypt, uh, all that stuff. We know about him. That's his past. And we also have his common complaint. I can't talk right. I have bad lips. No one will hear me. No one understands me. They'll send somebody else. That's his continuous theme early on in his career, seeking, dealing with God. So Moses' faith is an interesting one in that it changes over time. 
And I like this fact to change over time. That's where you learn stuff. Okay. My faith changes. I'm sure all yours did too, right? With little kids, simple faith. You know, Jesus loves us. I know that kind of thing. And then you want to real experiences, real life struggles, hard things, things that would break you. Some cases it does break us, and and yet we still go through it. That's that, that's our faith strengthened. So we ask as well. Those are just trials. Those are just difficulties. Those are struggles, right? That's how the primary tool God uses to build faith. What is faith? The fundamental trust of God. If you trust something, it doesn't say God per se. The idea of faith, you trust something that you can't tangibly feel, see, or have. You just trust that it will exist. I mean, I, I trust the term, the sun rises every day. Well, yeah, but that's only faith because I see it all the time. That, that's just a, an observation. But trust what I don't see, I don't have tangible, I can't, I can't experience. That's where faith shows up. It's the same concept of trust. There's trust is something that you can't tangibly see, feel, or understand or comprehend. So Moses' faith is what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Because Moses is a messianic figure. Now, we said messianic figures, um, figures. What is the messianic figure? What's its primary function? Primary messianic figure, what is that? To point someone to Messiah. It's a character or a person or an action, an event in your life that points to Messiah. So either the event can be messianic, the person can be messianic, whatever. It's a character that does that job. So Moses is one of the biggest ones we have in our Bible. Obviously, uh, Joseph is a huge one too. So we have really big ones. And Moses is one of the biggest ones. Messianic figure. If I was going to say a messianic figure, I could say, well, in what way? Like he saved Israel, right? Like delivered him out of Egypt. Great, Jewish job, right? Messianic figure. That's true. Absolutely right. But messianic figure, I mean, when we look at Messiah himself, he basically had, a, we, we, we would use, we commonly use the term, a gospel message. I mean, he's telling you something. He explains something to you. I have this written up here, Moses' gospel message. And Moses had a gospel message too. But if we think of a gospel message, it is, first of all, define what that is. Well, gospel essentially, now I know this is, I'm simplifying it, so forgive me. But the gospel has three primary parts to it. So a gospel, the gospel itself. Now, Messiah spoke a lot of stuff to a lot, but primary message, it has three primary parts. The first one is forgiveness of sin. Now, these are not in, in, in any, any order. It's not like one's greater than the other one. It's just, just one, just, just of, of them. Of sin. We also have a gospel message. The part of the message is also justification, which means paying for that or, 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 or uh, correcting for that sin. So, the justification. Justify. And then, of course, the last Friday section is, you know, sanctify. Set something aside just to set you as, as set apart or distinct or not like your old ways. So sanctify. That's a, now you can break more into subcategories of you know the kingdom of God and these are the, the core message. Think of think of gospel. These are the three primary things of forgiveness of sin. That's great, but as all the Torah says and all the prophets say, you can't just God doesn't just forgive sin and wash it away. It has to get paid for anyway. Something has to cover that. That, as I think it's a, the, 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 the backsliders, as Jer- Jeremiah records them, at the, like chapter 3, I think chapter 3 of Jeremiah, the backsliders, the people of Israel realize, I screwed up, I'm worthless, I messed up royally, I can't fix this. And God says, hey, if you even start walking toward my direction, 
I'll accept that as righteous. I'll, I will reward you and I will cover the gap. Because they even point out, God, I can't get that. I can't get there. I can't take your reward. I'm hanging out here with Satan my whole life. We're buddy chums. God, you're way over there with Jesus. I'm not over there. I'm over here. That kind of, I can't get there. I've, I've killed people, done awful things. I'm stuck. Because it's just God's point that take one step. Take one step toward me. And I'll, I, I will reward you. I'm staying away. Just one step. That's all you're asking for. So what the principle of forgiveness is, God knows what does it, it requires something. Take a step toward me. Well, to take a step toward God, which admit where you're at is not where you want to be. Right? <laughs> where I'm at is not where I want to be. So that's the principle. I'm, I'm in a place or a sin issue that I can't, I don't want to be there anymore. And God says, I'll, I'll forgive it. And God points out in Jeremiah 3, I will cover the gap between where you're at and where I want you to be. I'll pass, I'll, I'll cover that distance, but you should walk toward me. So we get the finish of sin. That's great. Now we have the justification process. Well, what's the justification process? Well, it has to be paid for. So God says, I'm going to cover the gap, but how am I going to cover the gap? So it, your, your sin, tradition, iniquities are paid for by blood. So he dies. So I can't walk the distance to Jesus, so to speak. I can walk toward him, I can't get there because I'm covered in filth. And God pointed out, which includes, applies to his son as well, filth and God don't mix. They can't hang out together. So something's paid for. And God and Jeremiah said, I'll justify it. That's great. So has justify it? I mean, I will cover that distance. I will cover the distance for you. Don't worry about that covering your distance. I got it, not you. Covered, yeah, stand in the end. Same principle. So we have the gospel should have the concept of justification, which of course is we interpret that or understand that as Messiah's death. And somebody had to pay for it. No matter what happens, God doesn't lie. So somebody has to pay for your, your sins, which are because you know that understand that. And the sanctification, which means you're not like your old way anymore. You're distinctly different. You change your method, you change your path, you change your course, you're now a different group. I believe it's um, the Timothy? I forgot. Where uh, I think it's Timothy where uh, it's pointing out that, um, I think it's Hebrews, actually, it's Hebrews 3, discusses the concept that Moses was in charge of God's house, took care of it, did a good job, but Messiah owns the house, <laughs> and Messiah's house is made up of people. And that's who Messiah, so that you are now sanctified, set aside as owning, or Messiah owns you. So yeah, you're owned owned by the side. So these are basically, basically three principles of the gospel message, which is great. These are good, good things. A messianic figure is going to have some elements of all three of these if, and, and more elaborate stuff too. Uh, we have uh, Samson obviously has this, this message, not all of this, but part of his messages, which is a messianic figure. Uh, a, 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 a Joseph has all three of these. And of course, Moses has all three of these. Now we, can't, we get the principle of forgiveness of sin, we understand that in our Passover stories with, with coming out of Egypt. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cleanse you, get you out. Now, did the people deserve coming out of Egypt? No. They just cried and God's going to take care of it. With justification, in Moses' case, obviously we'll get later. It's the death of the firstborn. And of course, the sanctified. You're now owned by God. God even specifically says, you're now sanctified the firstborn to me. I own them. I bought them. I killed much people for them. They're now mine. I, they're, I am their owner. They, they belong to me. So most is the same principled message over the Torah, or, or not just the Torah portion, but the previous one, this one, the next one, and the one after that too. Um, it's the same principle message, just repeats itself in different aspects. So this is a messianic figure. Fine. That's great. But Moses is a dynamic character. I mean, he changes. He's not a fixed character. 
A fixed gear is one that doesn't change over time. They start beginning, they're the same as the middle, they stay at the end. Well, these are dynamic characters, this one changes. Moses changes because Moses has faith, but his faith wavers, it alters, it, it questions, he struggles. And this is good, because guess what? So do I. Right? So he shows he's human. So my, I'm human too. So Moses struggles. So this is the basic principle. Moses has a gospel question like all, like all the other misfitting figures do. But he has a faith question. Faith, faith is a topic, which we're going to talk about a little bit today. This is, I have a few more words left. Ooh, 15. Um, we'll do what I can. So I'll, I, okay, I'll try not to talk faster. Sorry. I'll erase this real quick. So we have a basic. Moses is a gospel question like everybody else does. So nothing unusual about that. We expect that. And this gospel message, which is great, well, the basic principles you have to have is you have to actually believe it. Believe it. You believe it. <laughs> right? I can tell you anything. If you don't believe it and, apply, and, and use it, have it, yeah, have, apply it, functionally use it, what good is it? I, I might as well be talking gibberish, which sometimes I do, but that's just talking too fast. Um, so ideally, if we have Moses has a gospel, you have to believe the gospel. Well, what are the elements of that? Well, we call it faith. That's really what it is. Now, it's, it's more parts to faith, but faith is the core example. So Moses' faith, yes, actually believe the story, or believe God, or believe what's going to happen. Now, I have a question for you. Don't be edge, but think about it. If I believe something that I can't see, touch, feel, uh, 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 experience in any way, which I'm supposed to have, and I trust this, but then I can't do all those things to it. I, my five senses don't actually comprehend them all. So, but, but I believe it anyway. That I, can't, I can't define it very well. This is not, not a definable thing. So I can't, I can't say, well, it feels like this. It looks like that. It sounds, I can't define it those, those, those terms. So Moses has a faith of some form, which says a little bit about it. Obviously, he has a faith in that, in Hebrews, I think it's 11, yeah, chapter 11, discusses Moses and a few other characters too, regarding their faith. Moses' faith starts out relatively early. He, he, he points out he's, he's raised in, in Pharaoh's throne, right? Pharaoh's room, he could be essentially like a, he's a prince of Egypt, as it's commonly called, and Josephus records, right or wrong, I don't know, all of his military you know, feats that he did while he was a, a, a prince of Egypt. The, the conquering of Cush, the, 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 the military battles he fought, and he was leader of. So I'm not saying Josephus right or wrong, just that's what he records. And also, well, other recordings too of the same thing. So Moses had faith, he had an experience in the throne of, 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 of Pharaoh. Essentially, he was being trained to be Pharaoh. But he threw it all out. Now, think about that. You're throwing out your past. We discussed this a few months back regarding uh, uh, Ruth did the same thing. Rebecca did the same thing. Uh, 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 well, I the first job. Uh, Rahab, right. They're throwing out their past. They say, okay, I'm discarding what I know to what I don't know. In this case, he discarded what Pharaoh was, the, the, the being a, a, a king-like character, though he wouldn't necessarily be king, but he'd be, he'd be the, in, the, in, in that realm. Uh, amongst his princes, and went into slave, <laughs> a slave-like character. Well, he wasn't actually slave, but he hung out with them. So, his first of all, does he understand and comprehend what it's like to be a slave? 
Well, theoretically, you'd say no. He was never actually whipped. He wasn't beaten. He wasn't you know, hauling bricks. He wasn't doing the stuff that the slaves did. But yet, he, he attached himself to it, something he didn't quite truly know himself. So, his initial story of faith where we hear about him, I don't know what he did the first 40 years. But the first part of his life, uh, that's where he chooses to hang his hat on in the slave category. The sl- hang out with the slaves. Hang out the worthless ones, one that they're, they're of no value. Now, think about this. If I want a bright, good future, do I hang around, hang around the worthless scum? Right? Oh, yeah. That's a good way to go to be success. We tell our kids, yeah, yeah, don't go to college. Don't do education. Hang out with the bums. They'll be, right? Clearly, that doesn't work well, right? <laughs> yeah, hang out because you want to be like, right? You do you're the bums. So you wouldn't normally go from, hey, you have all this affluence, these great things in life, you could be what do you think, almost anything you wanted to be. Uh, so you know, I'll go throw it away and go to the slave side, the bums, the worthless ones, the ones that, uh, if, somebody, if somebody dies, they might think about burying you, they may not. <laughs> it's like, like that kind of category. Uh, the drunks who die in a, in a gutter, so to speak, not saying the slaves are drunks. The point is that they were the, which society did not like or respect or value, other than their physical labor ability. So, his initial faith was to walk off into something that he didn't know, personally experienced. So obviously he had family, he had friends, that kind of thing, or not say friends, or family. And he goes through this process. And then, of course, obviously after that, he obviously kills Egyptian and then flees. So he flees, he kills Egyptian, and of course, that also is an act of faith too, because what does he have with him? Nothing. The skin, the skin on his back, so to speak. He's running for his life. And he may have grabbed some clothing. Hopefully he did. Maybe some food. I don't know. Maybe a bag of coins. I don't know what he grabbed. He doesn't really say. But he fled. He didn't know where to go. Just ran. I don't blame him. I'd run too. But the point is, that's what he did. So it's also an act of faith. I, I, I respect these act of faith, but reality is, to me, these are relatively um, uh, simple ones. Meaning... Hey, you have a world, of, a life of affluence. That's great and all. And yet, we always long things we don't have. So, the world of a life of affluence and going into slavery, it's not like it's an obscene concept. We have stories, we have children's stories that talk about that concept. So, it's not crazy thought process. Fleeing from killing a guy, yeah, criminals do that all the time. So, that's expected, right? They run from, 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 from their crimes. So, these, these are acts of faith in, in a manner of speaking, but they're relatively minor ones. I call them minors because they're not crazy in their thought process. It, it happens. People do this on a regular basis. And so this is not a, a strange thing. What I'm talking about is that Moses, from after God speaks with the whole tree thing or bush, bush thing, burning bush and such, Moses says, I don't want this. This is scary. This is, this is great. Now, that was harder for him. So these early acts of faith are truly acts of faith, but the bush, not more difficult. The bush, God's saying, go back to the people who you fled. Now, criminals don't usually like to return to the city of crimes to speak, and neither did Moses. He, doesn't, he, he thought he was of no value there. That bush, Moses' faith had to grow. G-R-E-W is through. I can't say spell through. Moses had to grow some. They grew from that point. They didn't like it. We don't like being stretched. I don't like being stretched. No one likes being stretched. But guess what? God stretches. That's his like 
basic tool for stretching. Love you love language, exactly. God loves like just stretching. So we ask them, okay, God, well, why do you have to stretch me to make my faith grow? How else are you going to do it? Stretch to make your faith grow. How else you do it? That's his primary tool. It's a great tool. It's hard on us. It usually is, but it's a really good tool. So he's going to make Moses stretch. You're outside your comfort zone, but you don't want to do what you're trying to avoid, what you hate. Guess what? We're going to do that. <laughs> Thanks, God. Right, exactly. That's what he does. So the thing is, beware. As I told, grew up as a kid, my, parent, my mom said, my dad's always said, um, don't be afraid of anything. Because that's what God will test you on. <laughs> and he's like, okay, we're all good. I'm not saying they're right. They're just a, a child's a, a goalpost, a guide, guide, guiding phrase. So faith grew because of the bush. So this is great. Faith grows. He goes back and, of course, God was kind to him, gave him Aaron. Goes back and goes through this whole talk to people. Then we have this, this story where we have going to talk to people, explain what's going on. God's going to save you. And the people all say, yay, we believe. Let's go. You know, right. You got to prove it. Prove it. You prove, you prove it. Yeah. Show me the money. Show me the money. <laughs> so you prove. So prove it. P-R-O-O. Is it one or two? Oh, sorry. One. Thank you. Prove it. <laughs> prove. Prove what it is. Prove this is true. So prove it. I've never been asked to prove my faith. I haven't been. I wouldn't know how. How do you prove a faith? How do you prove a belief? How do you prove it? something you can't tangibly see or feel or touch? I don't know how. If somebody else knows how, let me know. I don't know how to do it. His method of proof, he has, of course, a little snake, the serpent thing, but did that really work? Pharaoh didn't believe it. I'm sure some people did, but Pharaoh didn't. So that wasn't really good proof. The whole blood thing, that didn't work out. That wasn't really good proof either. Pharaoh didn't believe it. The frog thing, yeah, that didn't work out well either because Pharaoh didn't believe it. Those proofs are, are just in the miracles, the actions, the stuff. Doesn't prove anything. It proves you can do, you know, unique, strange stuff, strange things, miracles. Oh yes, Isaac. We had a discussion on this down or down at HRCCs based on the um, the snake and all that, and why Pharaoh would not believe that trick because you can take the snake, certain snakes, and press on. Oh, right, right. So as it's pointing out, so for for those in the audience, Isaac was pointing out that in their in their children's class today, they're discussing the whole the snake when you when you. When you hold the stake through your way, you can push it and it paralyzes it to break certain stakes. When you throw it down, they, they break up and kind of get out of their stick format. I forgot the name. There's a stake that they, they commonly live with. But yeah, it point is that it wasn't really good proof because it was a trick. It's a trick. Well, tricks aren't proofs, they're tricks. So they have to prove that God's with you. Now, mind you, this is, we're talking about Moses. He, he, he is struggling. So if I wasn't asked to prove my, that God sent me, that's, that's great. If I'm asked to prove God sent me, this would be hard to do. What do you have to do? You have to actually believe God sent you. What if Moses didn't believe God sent him? Well, that didn't happen. What if Moses believed that God didn't send him? He's just on his own. Like the whole, when he killed the Egyptian and such. God didn't send him to kill the Egyptian. No one would believe it. It wouldn't be very good proof at all. You're worthless. So they have to prove that, 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 that God actually sent you. It's hard to do. He uses miracles, which don't really work very well for at least most of the audience. But I want to point out one that Moses interprets. I'm afraid we're getting my, my tour portion here, so I'm running out of time already. But um, is that the children of Israel didn't believe. Children said no. 
Why did they say no? It says they were short of breath, which is one of the ways of saying they were just trampled down. Their spirit was low. A despondency is, is another English word for it, but as, as Jeff's uh, rendition has his Bible, it means that I've been raised up and crushed so many times, I have no hope. So do the people have hope? Do they have hope? No. Does that mean they have faith? No. If you have no hope, you don't believe anything, therefore you don't have faith. So the children have to deal with the children of Israel. Moses has faith, well, it's growing still. The children of Israel had no faith. Nothing there. Well, as the Proverbs point out, hope deferred crushes the heart. I have the Proverbs 13. Eh, I forgot which verse it is. That, 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 that you've been hoping for so long, hoping for you for so long, it's been delayed for so long, you have no belief in it. It's no crush, it just crushes you. But the same Proverbs also says, once it's fulfilled, it's a tree of life. You're fully inspired and filled up inside yourself. That hope is delayed so long, it crushes you. But if you can persist long enough in it, it will spring life. So children, of course, had no faith left. I'm going to erase this to my room here on my board. So though Moses gives his gospel message about, you know, we're going to save you. We'll get you out of here, right? This is a good gospel message. We're going to save you out of Egypt. We're free. All these great things. Promised land. And that gospel message is based on the concept that Moses believes. But the, that's for Moses, but the people did not. Moses believes, but nobody else does. So, so how do you handle that? If no one else believes you, what do you do about it? Well, we answer the question real quickly. What did Abraham do? When God said, travel to a land that you've never been there before. You just do it. <laughs> you just do it. Regardless if someone believes you, it doesn't matter if someone else believes you because your relationship with God is you and him. So what else believes, who cares? So no one else believes, includes Pharaoh. So what? Do it anyway. So, question for you. Messiah shows up on the scene thousands of years later, right? 1,500 years, whatever it is. How did he believe him? Well, some did. A whole lot didn't. What did he do? Do it anyway. <laughs> so, when we look at Messianic characters and, their, and their, their nature, what they are, they have a good message, a truth of God, and they have faith, and Moses' faith changes as we go along. I, I literally go through all of it, but you notice as it goes through, initially he's, he's, he's frustrated, because the, the, the message that God said to go, go save them, God wasn't doing it. He wasn't success, successfully saving people. And God points out, hey, I got this. Chill out. We'll go through this anyway. But as time progresses to the Torah portion, this one and the next one, as most goes to plagues, Moses knows full well, hey, this is easy. I, I have nothing to worry about. I'll just follow what God says. And Pharaoh, you'll collapse eventually. I believe it is Paul points out when in, in the, the Talmudic tradition in uh, I think it's the second Timothy chapter three I think, I think it's where it says uh, records that in uh, in, in Moses' era when he was dealing with Moses the people that were resisting him was was fair of course but also his necromancers his magicians because regardless of what you believe or so what other people believe you believe what is true 
meaning the, the, the message of faith believes what is true to the persistence. And they'll just do it regardless of anyone's beliefs or not. But there's also the other people who resist. Resist. Is that spelled right? Yes. better. I spelled it better. Close enough. So resist. There are those who resist what you're doing. Now that's different. There's a difference between I have people who believe, people who don't believe, and the people who resist me. The resistance is harder. Moses was going against Pharaoh, but also his magicians. When you have resistance to messianic figure, you no longer do this one who does doesn't believe. You're going to do somebody who believes the opposite. They're the opposing side. They truly know what you're doing. They are the spiritual oppose, opposition. We talked about this with the holy abortion, abortions earlier in, in the prayer session, right? There are those who, who say, well, abortions, yeah, it's, it's a woman's choice. They don't take him comprehend it. I don't really know. They're the wishy-washy. They'll say, well, no, it's wrong. And then they'll say, no, it's good. The one that say, no, it's wrong or no, it's good, those are the opposing forces. Those are the ones who are, who are actually fighting each other. They know what the other side is, and they hate the other side. So resistance, as Paul's Paul points out, was magicians. Uh, M-A-G. 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 Uh, close? Yep. Okay, magicians. They're the ones who are actually resisting because what do they deal with? Demons. They know what God is. <laughs> they know what power that is. So the magicians are the ones like, no way we're going to fight against this. This guy's bad news for us. So we have our faith. Our faith is a good thing, but it's basically what we believe and trust in, in our trust of God. And that faith will come across different types of people. Some, no one else will believe you. That's fine. They, have, they may be confused, their own struggles in life. As it points out here, shortness of breath means that their spirit's been crushed too much, and they're overworked. They're exhausted. They don't have time to think about this. Their, 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 their time is, is totally stretched. And what's the job of the messianic figure? It includes all of us who believe Messiah. We do it anyway, right? That's our function. Do it anyway. When we run across resistance, as Moses did, that tests our true faith. All right. Because it's one thing when somebody doesn't believe me and ignores me. So this is what's fighting against me. This is too hard. I don't want to fight. Fight's hard. It's miserable. Let's hate, I, I hate this. Well, guess what? That resistance is what we actually care about. That's what we say. This is important. This is why I say we have to put the fight against resistance. In this case, of course, was manifesting in magicians. That's how this process will work. So the Masonic figures all will have some variation of this principle that I have written up here of this gospel message. So they have the message of this belief. They believe what is doing is right. Joseph went through it. Obviously, Moses did. We just discussed that. Uh, Samson runs across this. David runs across this. All the Masonic figures run some variation of this, this example. But what do we, what's the example we're being taught? You do it anyway. You persist anyway. Because faith is not supposed to be shallow. It's supposed to be long, persist for long, a deep faith that has strength and power behind it. That's our victory with faith. And that's the example we try to give to our kids, right? That's how you show it. It's, it's persistence. how you show it. Hey, I'm going to do this. You can't stop me. I'm not going to end it because I know it's the right thing. My relationship with God is persistent and, and fixed. doesn't change or alter. Moses grew as he went through, scary at first, made him stretch like crazy. God, he hated that. I get it. No one likes to stretch. But that's how we find out because if, if Moses didn't stretch, if God didn't strike this face, and Moses ran across this resistance, what would he have done? 
probably a coward. He would have run away. He would have fled like he did last time. So if his strength isn't strong enough, if his faith isn't, isn't truly an a, 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 a unwavering one, the resistance will crush, will crush him, will crush us too. So our, our faith is to be extremely strong. Say, no, I know this is hard. This is out of my comfort zone. I don't like doing this. It's not what I wanted to do, but I'll do it anyway. Any questions? Makes, I, I, know, I, I tried to keep yourself. It was, I, hey, I was close to the right time. But I think that's why he gives us the same so kind Kate of process in our own lives, so, right? He doesn't show you straight to... Right. So, Kate points out, or Joy, sorry. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you point out that God goes this process through our own lives. He doesn't dump you into one thing all, like, all at once. It's a process which you go through. And that's true. Imagine for a minute, Mo, God spoke to most of the burning bush and said, hey, here's everything that actually happened. Here's the struggles. The people are going to hate you. They're going to want to kill you, want to stone you. All these things. Just, just pre-tell him all things that can happen in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And you're not going to get the breath of promise land. You'll get to go. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm out of here. Forget that. I'm not going through this. this so God is kind. He doesn't disclose the whole story, all the struggles you're going to run through. But those struggles defined how we got where we're at. Defines the faith of each one of us, our stories. That's how we share it. And we say, hey, this is why I am where I am. That's true. God goes to the same place with each of us. You can't prove it. You live the journey. Thank you uh, very much. So uh, what was the question on uh, Ezekiel you had? Yeah. Um, That was, you know, I had read the earlier chapters as well uh, against Zidane, and then it's addressed to Egypt. So it was his enemy, Israel's enemies. And uh, the interesting thing I see about it is, uh, God kind of put up with them, you know. You thought you were so good, and you. Were, but when they said they're God, <laughs> that's it. That's it. Yeah, I, that's my Nile. Oh, did you say your Nile? Oh, forget it. You're done. Yes. Well, and, I, and actually, I, I was reading up on a, a, a Hebrew piece about um, they were talking about the uh, trading of Sidon and Israel. They when when Tyre and Sidon, I try to do the Hebrew, but I Zat Zidon. Um, when they said, "Wow, hey, our God may be more powerful than your God," oh, that really got him. That really got him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, Estelle. Just adding on to what he was saying, one really profound fact about all of the plagues that we see depicted in the Exodus um, is that Adonai was demonstrating his superiority by directly attacking each one of the gods and goddesses that the Egyptians were putting their faith and hope and trust in. And so in reality, it was definite proof to the Israelites at the time that Adonai was superior. That was a testimony to both countries, both peoples, yes. Uh, Deborah, go ahead. Oh, in Ezekiel, you know, when he's saying for Pharaoh, I would da- you know, deal this, that, um, is it, that prophecy wasn't uh, before they were in Egypt, was it? 
No. I mean, because that it was, it was so much this is after. still yet to come. This hasn't happened, right? Well, this is a, yeah, that's yeah, what I see. Yeah, you have to remember when uh, when he was prophesying. Ezekiel yeah. was prophesying just before Babylon? and just after the exile, the Babylonian exiles. So you, you remember that that was, uh, they had depended upon Egypt right. to save them from Nebuchadnezzar right. and uh, some of the others that were coming after him. And that was where you see where you uh, you see the prophets will say stop trusting in egypt so that's because that and then why they kept drawing back to the time of the exodus because it was a sense that you'll see it as we go through the exodus moving on through the book of exodus and into and then picking it up again in numbers it's like you keep wanting to go back to like egypt America, as that America, being yeah. a source of your trust Right. You need to leave military, Egypt. Right? And then coming up to the time of the exiles, they were leaning on Egypt because Egypt was a waning superpower at that time period yeah. instead of leaning on the one who delivered them from Egypt to begin with. That they were going back to Egypt. Right, yet and that again. still happens today. I mean, this is happening yeah. every hundred years probably for each now. America's, well, I was hearing some older documents about uh England was the superpower, how much it had taken over yeah, there. Yeah. And then now America had become the superpower. And so there's a lot of nations that we feed and take care of to this mm. day. So this, that, that spiritual part, when, at, when that prophecy, when you were reading that, I was like, that is continually to me in my eyes, I might which be wrong, is, is which happening is why all the, the time. Ezekiel passage is paired together with this because you're seeing that this right. wasn't just something that happened long ago. Right wow we're done with that okay move on but this is something that was a problem with israel later on leading up to the exiles and then when you're looking at the time of the day of the lord this is something where you look back not only to the first exodus but also the exiles and then return from the exiles you look from all of these lessons forward so you you have the the benefit of it it's like when we go through the apostolic writings, they didn't just drop out of the sky in the book of Matthew. You know, there is a whole lot that happened and then recorded on through the prophets before that time period. So you take all of that into account when you're reading the apostolic writings like that. Yeah, yes, Larry. <coughs> I wanted to point out that um, Lion Lamb Ministries is doing an in-depth uh, series on ezekiel mm. and um it's very it's very very i think it's very well done and very interesting and it shows the parallels between exodus and ezekiel and revelation and yep. it's pretty amazing and yeah. one of the things that the last issue said which was kind of ironic and i can't remember where they got this he had a reference for it but i can't remember what it was but what he said was after the the they wasted uh, they wasted Egypt on the way out, the, you know, the, from the plagues. Um, it took them 40 years to get the place back together again so they could actually have, have a real kingdom again, which is pretty ironic since those people wanted to return there for that whole 40 years while they were <laughs> wandering in the distance. They, wouldn't have, they would have gotten there. They would have been not let it in anyway, probably, because they were the, what, Egypt was, and it never returned back to what it had been before. And that's another thing that Ezekiel prophesied, because when the battle, when the battle, they went to the, they wanted to, 
Egypt to help them with the Babylonians. The Babylonians came in, crushed Judah, and then went right down to Egypt and crushed Egypt. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that. You, you bring up a very interesting point. When we're reading through in the Exodus, you are seeing, let's go back because we remember the, quote, glory days of Egypt. Well, that was the glory days of Egypt before <laughs> the plagues crushed them. So, uh, yes, Alex. Yeah, and to follow up on uh, Sidon and uh, Tyr, they, uh, the prophecy was they will go down from within. Well, they had a huge navy. Alexander and Macedonians couldn't get them. But um, I think certain alliances of their own people came in and joined up with, I think it was Persia, because Alexander, so yeah, it fell apart from within. And this impenetrable seawall that they built in that island of Tyre, impenetrable, and they, they were overwhelmed with their own people helping Alexander and Persia. It happened. I mean, it yeah. was the impossible. It happened. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so we need to uh, wrap up here shortly. So uh, Sam and then Deborah. Um, I think uh, the spiritual application here is uh, how many plagues it's going to take <laughs> for our generation to, you know, finally surrender to God. Yes. You know, for example, in California here, we went through the fire. And uh, now the flood, earthquake, and all that. And the drought. <laughs> and the drought. But yet, there are still propositions that is still, you know, in other words, our leaders, they are like Pharaoh, hardening their heart. Yeah. Yeah. And individually in our life also, because when we look at this thing in the, you know, try to generalize it, we will not be convicted. That maybe there is some unforgiveness, maybe there is some certain things we are engaging ourselves in that God is warning us back off. But we we Muslim with God. So and I think the same things that God did to Pharaoh, here we do it to us if we don't repent. Because I believe God is just, is merciful. So yeah. if Pharaoh had, you know, yield warning and repented. I don't think uh, the death of the firstborn will have occurred, but God is always fulfilling His word because He said it's going to happen. Yeah, so, and we we, we yeah. did we did see that earlier with when we uh, did the first passage going into Exodus, where He said, "Israel's is my firstborn, and you know if you don't give them up, I'm coming after your firstborn." So it's pretty much a foreshadowing. It's going to take that much to. Uh, free him. Yeah, Deborah, and then we'll uh, close things out here. In Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 34 and 35, um, the greater exodus, and you know, God tells us, I mean, I circled so many times, God says, I will, I will, I live, I, 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 the Lord, I will, I judge you. And so in 34 and 35, so the best is yet to come. The greater exodus, the whole world is going to know who he is by him making a distinction of us in these end days. And he says, I will gather you from the four corners of the wind. I mean, every time I read that, I believe that's yet to happen. Yeah, I don't believe and, that it has happened. Right. And so, I mean, that's what we were, well, yeah, that, that's certainly the hope, but, but the warning is what we just saw, like in Jeremiah chapter six, as we were one of the songs we did today is that, yeah, they'll hear it, but they won't respond. 
And that's what the, the message that we see in Revelation is that there'll be a whole lot that will hear it, but they won't respond, and not only not respond, but they'll even fight against it. And it'll be just like what Sam was talking about. The plagues will come, and just like when Pharaoh and his magicians reproduce them, they'll go, oh, okay, so I can disregard that. That's not an act of God, nothing I need to worry about. So it says he walked in and paid it no mind or didn't think about it any further. So sadly, these things will come along, whether it be to this particular state or other places, and they'll go, oh, It'd be like, you know, what the Apostle Peter talks about. Eh, everything has gone on as it has from the time before. Not, nothing calamitous is going to happen. Yeah, so, um, yeah, with Tammy, we need to wrap up here. So, uh, Tammy, is the last little comment, and then we're going to wrap up here. Yeah, the archaeological study Bible that I have, um, they had a segment on the plagues. And you can easily see how the world will easily be able to find, quote, logical explanations for these things, like the plague of the... Um, uh, boils or whatever might be written off as smallpox or right. cowpox. The the festering boils may end up being written off as anthrax or whatever. Oh. So um, those that been have been given the eyes to see what's going on will those that haven't been are going to double down in their blasphemy. Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly. what we see in Revelation and the reading that we did today. Yeah, I mean. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel